Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'll be your host on this presentation today. And with me, as always, is Jack Herr, our Capital Markets Associate. Welcome, Jack. Hey, Josh. Just uh, trying to stay warm out here. We're having a bit of trouble in Texas. We are, but we made it in today. Roads are a little icy, and, and hopefully we'll get above freezing here in the next couple of days, you think? I hope so. I think it should be a sunny weekend. Well, for our listeners who may not be familiar with our firm, the Rudd Company is a wealth management firm headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. We manage investments for clients across the country and specialize in personal investment management, retirement planning, and the setup and management of employer retirement plans. Jack, I heard through the grapevine that you're going to lead a discussion on raising money-smart children today. Yeah, I have, a, I have a few questions prepared for you. I also heard that you have an outstanding uh, guest speaker today. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's pretty good. So we'll get to that in a minute. But as always, I'm very interested in getting a market update. So why don't you take us into the trading room and let us know what's going on? So I'd like to talk a little bit about performance, how we've done so far this year. And then surprise, surprise, we're going to talk about inflation and the weakening dollar again. I know that's one of our favorite topics here. First, I want to talk about the market. We've continued to do well in the equity market. We're hitting all-time highs, kind of inching up daily. It's been good so far in 2021. I think a lot of that is driven by earnings news so far. I don't know if you're aware, Josh, but four out of five companies are exceeding revenue and profit targets so far in earnings season, which which is a good sign. So we're definitely spending those stimulus checks, Jack. Yeah, it looks like it. And uh, <laughs> the businesses are benefiting from that. I do have to put an asterisk there. Many companies are outperforming their revised targets during the pandemic. Wall Street has frequently kind of lowered expectations, but still good news nevertheless. A lot of this earnings growth has been driven by two sectors primarily, which is tech and healthcare. The tech side of things, we're still seeing companies benefit from the stay-at-home orders, consumers and businesses working from home, we're seeing companies like software, gaming, and even some, some new streaming services out there that have released this year and their stock prices have done really well. I know we've been following those close. On the healthcare side of things, obviously during the pandemic, we've seen good news from the, the vaccine makers and hospitals. But we're also seeing some new innovation in, in the hospital sector with hospital equipment and, and things of that nature. So all looks good in the, in the healthcare sector so far. But what I really wanted to talk about today, and I know you wanted to share some things with our clients, is just inflation and the weakening dollar. The dollar has weakened compared to some other foreign currencies. As an example, we've had the euro and the yen that have started outperforming the dollar. And we've seen a lot of weakness, and I think there's two things that are mainly contributing to this. First being the government just willing to continue to pass stimulus bills. We've seen a lot of spending. Um, a new administration come in and, and seems to be a priority for them as well to spend and pass more stimulus. And then also interest rates and monetary policy. We've seen interest rates remain low, and we expect the Fed to keep those low based on their own words. I think those two things are really causing a weakening dollar, and I think we're starting to see some inflation trades in the market. We've talked about it a lot in the trading room over the last month or so, but we've seen some alternative investments like precious metals, some commodities, and even some more speculative investments like Bitcoin really take off and reach all-time highs. So we're starting to see that inflation trade a bit. I know we've we've looked into the international market a little bit and try to hedge our risk from that weakening dollar. Josh, I wanted to get your thoughts and maybe talk about our investors and, and how this is impacting them. Well, those are all really good points. And, you know, it's interesting when you look at the standard inflation indexes that are reported, and we've talked about this on our program before, how those numbers really just haven't been that exciting. And then you go out into the real world and you look at real estate prices and the prices of cars. And we're also starting to see uh, some upward wage pressure uh, here recently. Some might argue that that is being driven a little bit by the pandemic, but 
You're starting to see uh, more normal signs of inflation, and it's starting to move pretty quickly. What's most interesting, Jack, is you know, I, I believe recently over the last few days, the price of gold and silver has actually fallen. And we've been getting a lot of questions from our investors on those commodities and why, you know, if we've got this specter of inflation hanging over our shoulder, why are a lot of the traditional hedges moving in the opposite direction? I've told our investors and explained to them that when interest rates go up and when individuals and investors believe that interest rates are going to go up, that removes a lot of the incentive for holding assets that don't pay income. Because then you can go to the bank or you can go to a bond or some other investment that's cash flowing and you can move assets there and you can actually get a rate of return. You know, you and I have talked about in this office many times that the one challenging thing about a lot of these precious metal commodities is you can't eat them and you can't consume them and, and they don't pay income, which isn't the case for, of course, the mining stocks who are businesses and should be treated that way. But in general, it's been uh, an interesting environment. You talked a little bit about just some pressure on the dollar. And a lot of that is for the same reason that we're seeing possible inflation tick up. It's just we've got all this money out there and it's, it's trying to find a home. And the Fed has been very clear and, and uh, Congress has been very clear that they're going to do everything they can to continue to pump money into the system to support individuals through this pandemic. What's also interesting is you're seeing a lot of new programs, uh, a lot of new schemes that are coming out. You know, I think last week you and I were talking about possible student loan debt forgiveness. Yeah. Uh, we were talking, we're now talking about uh, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. And also you're starting to see the idea of some basic income resurface, which is the money supply is growing by leaps and bounds these days. And I don't think there's any chance in my mind that the Fed's balance sheet is going to get any smaller anytime soon. So Unfortunately, Jack, I think a lot of these things are here to stay. And the one challenging thing about inflation, you know, we've talked about it being the thief in the night, but it really puts drag on investment returns over a long period of time and really should make investors step back and, and look at the composition of their portfolio and, and maybe adjust their expectations. Agreed. And that's why uh, I'm going to keep bringing it up here on the market update. I think it's important, like you just mentioned. So we'll keep discussing it here. And with that, I'd like to, to move into our topic for the day, and that's raising money, smart children. And like Josh hinted at earlier, he is our expert today, so I'll be asking him some questions and look forward to that. So before we start today, Josh, I just wanted to share a little bit of my story and how you know I kind of learned the importance of finances and where it started for me. So for me, my parents were always good savers. They started when I was really young, you know, probably when I was in grade school. They started my college fund. You know, they started saving money for me, which I'm very fortunate and thankful for. When I started really thinking about money, I think it was high school, beginning of high school. <laughs> the, the expectation for me was always that when I turned 16, I was going to get a job, um, I was going to work, and that you know, my parents were going to stop covering my spending money, things like that. And I was, you know, if I wanted to do things on the weekends, that was going to be up to me to pay for those things. So, so they put that into your head early. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> believe it or not, when I was 15 years old in 10 months, I was hitting the ground running, looking for a job, trying to make some money. And That's good. Get my first job. Worked a few different jobs, got to find out what it was like to make some money and you know, spend it on the weekends with my friends, which I, which I really enjoyed. As I moved into college, the same thing applied. My parents were paying the majority of college, but there was an expectation that I would be paying for some through work-study programs, loans, and just you know my overall savings. If I wanted to have a social life in college, if I wanted to join social clubs or fraternity, it was the expectation that I'd be paying for those things as well. Throughout college, I also worked 
And I think I learned a lot from that experience. It taught me self-reliance and how to be independent and, you know, to be able to budget things. And I think that experience helped me transition into the real world, getting my first job and just being able to go out on my own, uh, live on my own. Thankfully, had a stable job um, here. So I appreciate that. <laughs> but overall, I think I was fortunate enough to attend a good university. My parents saved well, but also you know, it was an expectation for me to always chip in. I'd like your opinion here. How did I do? Well, it sounds like your parents taught you personal responsibility, and it's uh, doesn't it feel good, the, the freedom that comes along with that? It does, definitely. I think we're often asked by parents and grandparents for help on teaching children these important financial concepts, and, and maybe it's not as complex as what we're doing here in investing, but just the basics of self-reliance and things of that nature. Why do you feel this topic is a concern for so many of our clients? Well, first I'll say that it raising children in general is extremely complex. And for those of you who, especially those of you who have two children or more, it's definitely a full-time job and there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot of moving parts. We often call it herding cats in some cases. It's a really challenging. But no, I think your, your opening question is a good one because as parents, we want our children to be better off than we were. Right, Jack? And that's just comes along with being parents. We're excited about seeing them succeed. And so that's number one. Number two is even if we're successful and we have a really high-performing role or job in the community, we really want to continue our legacy as individuals, as parents. We want to help our children get past that third-generation curse. For those of our listeners who don't know what that is, we use a very common and old phrase in this office, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in, in three generations. And basically what that is, is it's very common for the first generation of wealth to spend a lot of time and develop that work ethic and build that initial wealth and not spend it. And then their children are usually pretty well educated. They end up going to the schools that mom and dad didn't go to, getting educated at a very high level. And maintaining that wealth is a primary goal of that second generation. You typically see a little more risk-averse individual. Wealth has a very hard time making it past the third generation for several reasons. First, the second generation, which of course are the parents of the third, have the knowledge but were never challenged. So they never felt comfortable taking risk. So the growth drivers of wealth really disappear at that point. And unfortunately, the only thing that's usually left for the third generation is a standard of living that keeps expenses at a very high level without the ability to drive income to support that standard of living. Now, the third generation usually produces a lot of creative individuals because the second generation, which of course are their parents, gave them a lot of free time and, and they had a lot of resources to pursue a lot of those activities which interested them. However, we see the family wealth completely exhausted by this third generation because the key wealth building traits forged through struggle and risk were really never developed. So just continuing our legacy, if we can teach and, and lead and instruct and instill good financial habits in our children, there's a chance that that, that money might actually last longer than that third generation curse. And, and finally, Jack, you know, the reason I think that we get a lot of questions and interest in this is finance has become really a big deal in our society, much much more so than even when I started in the industry. When you, you think about what's going on here recently with the online free trading platforms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the kids in college, I mean, are trading stocks now. Yeah. I mean, that was unheard of you know, 10, 20 years ago. I mean, the stock market has always been very attractive for folks trying to make a quick buck. But now, you know, with all the information available, 
pretty much got everything you need at your fingertips and can learn. So as our society has matured into more of a consumption-based society, I just think that finance is so much more important. And I think parents see that. So much of the population is investing and interested in finance. And, and also, I mean, think of it, Jack. We even have news channels now. All they do is talk about business. Exactly. And that's an interesting point back to the legacy factor. I really didn't think about that too much. I definitely saw my parents when I was a kid. They taught me these concepts, and I could tell that they wanted me to succeed, like you were saying. But that legacy factor in, in third generation, that, that's pretty interesting. Josh, I know this topic is important to you personally. You know, I even see you come into the trading room and you tell us that your kids, they got some money for Christmas or their birthdays and, you know, they put a little bit of away investing and obviously they're very young. I always enjoy those stories. But why is this topic so important to you personally? Well, I've got uh, first and foremost, uh, I got a big family. So I've got lots of kids and it's uh, something that's top of mind. I think Jennifer and I said the other other night when we were sitting down that by the time we're done raising children in our house, I, it'll, it will have been almost 40 years that I will have had young <laughs> children uh, living in my home. So it's a, it's a very important topic for our family, and I've just got a lot of practice, so it's, it's top of mind. And this also, Jack, comes up in the financial planning process quite a bit. As our listeners may not know, our average client age is more in the, in the early to middle grandparent range. And so a lot of the interesting questions actually come from a lot of grandparents. I mean, we have the parents that are asking about their children. You were talking about college planning and things like that, but but actually comes from a lot of the grandparents. So besides the points that uh, I just mentioned and what we've already discussed, I have a personal interest. I've really seen a change in behavior. I believe that your case, Jack, that you gave us in your personal testimony is just not the rule. There's been a big change in parenting behavior over the last 20 years with how children are raised we can trace it back to many things, and but I've noticed it just in the in the twenty years. And, and there's some concerning things out there with personal responsibility, and and I think a, a reliance on handouts and 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 free stuff. You know, you right. and I, you and I talk. There's there's no such thing as a free lunch, and and I, I think that it's concerning that that a lot of parents and young people don't realize that. But I think the thing that I think about the point that I think about every day, and what drives me on this topic is I really want to give our clients practical tools that they can use for their children and grandchildren to give them every opportunity to lead a financially successful life. And money isn't everything, right, Jack? But it sure makes things a lot easier when you manage it well. Yeah, that's that's correct. Well, I appreciate you bringing up the grandparents there. I forgot to, to shout out them in, in my own story. They were, they were important in, in me building my savings, and, and they always supported me well. So I, I got to give them a quick shout out here. But anyway, I, I talked earlier about seeing you excited about your kids and investing, and you know they're very young. But you know, what do you think? When do you think a good time is to start teaching our children about smart money management? Jack, I'm really glad you asked this question because this question I get a lot, and it's normally when a and and I, we will call them children because they they are our clients' children, but. The most common question I get is when they're adult children and they're in their 20s and maybe there's some bad habits and, and things aren't going well and, and parents are a little concerned or grandparents are a little concerned. So they ask me then. And, and unfortunately, when a child reaches adulthood and they get to a point, I usually say it's, it's in the mid to late 20s. Some people it's different, right? You can make an impact on them, but they've already developed a lot of habits and it's much more difficult to, to make an impact at that age. So I'd tell you, Jack, 
earlier than you think you can make an impact. And I, w- I want to give you some some examples. So you were talking about personal responsibility and you were implying the freedom that it gave you when you were younger and the great lessons that your parents taught you. I would tell you that simply practice saying no to children very early in order for them to accept personal responsibility and to really carry out the example that, that you explained earlier, you've got to develop those skills that are necessary, just basic skills for prudent financial management. And I'll give you an example, just things like saving rather than spending. They must learn to invest for something better down the road, just denying themselves consumption today for something better in the future. Telling our children yes to everything it doesn't prepare them to be able to cope with their environment in the future. It's very, very difficult. So I think just practicing saying no early to children when they're younger is, is something that's very healthy and, and really a responsibility as a parent. Something more practical, though, that's less about just specific parenting and more related to financial management. When I was a kid, piggy banks were a big deal, Jack. And we all had piggy banks. You know, we put our, our dimes and we put our pennies in these banks. And I don't know if if you ever experienced this, but when my parents first took me in to open a checking account, they actually gave out a piggy bank. Really? Yeah, it was a it was a big deal, you know. And I actually had a, a bank that was a pig, you know. And <laughs> and so I would uh, I would encourage parents and grandparents to start that habit. Give them a bank. Uh, my my son uh, has one that's a giant Coke bottle. My five year old son, and he loves it because when he he'll go all through the couches at home and he'll try to find coins and he'll he'll start putting them in his piggy bank. And what you don't realize is is you're creating that habit of saving for your children very early, and you're creating that muscle memory, and and that's that's very very important. Another thing that I think is overlooked with children is that when you're going into church or you're going in to volunteer. Children need to participate in that. It doesn't matter whether they are just putting a quarter in the offering plate at church or they're taking one canned goods to the shelter or they're going over to the angel tree and they're actually picking the angel out. They need to be involved in that process. And I think so many times I see parents and grandparents think that a, a child cannot handle or cannot understand that. Oh, they understand it very well. And and even if they don't fully grasp what you're doing to support that organization, again, create those habits and create those muscle memory actions. And that's going to stay with them for a long, long time and into, into adulthood. I think making those things normal and just saying, okay, if, if you get a gift from your grandparents for Christmas, like we said, you know, just put aside some of that or, you know, even make it fun, like you said, with the, the piggy banks or, you know, whatever's important to your kids. I think that's that's a good habit to learn for sure. So you briefly mentioned grandparents a few minutes ago. How can they have an impact on the financial development of, of their grandchildren? Well, grandparents can have a huge impact. And, and this is really hits home with me because, as I mentioned earlier in the program, most of our clients, the discussions we have are around grandparents. It's a little more challenging with grandparents because you're not the primary educators of the target, right? Right. So uh, grandchildren, you're not around them as much as parents. And, and really, it's not your role, right? A grandparent doesn't have the same role as, as a mom and a dad. So that's it's very different. But have no fear, grandparents can make a huge, huge impact and also a very different impact. What I really notice, the grandparents that do a great job in our practice and that we worked with in the past Instead of being proactive like a parent would be in correcting, don't do this, don't do that, and, you know, here's the right way, grandparents can be the wise counselor in a relationship if they're more reactive. 
and they wait for those questions to be asked and they wait to see those opportunities where they can really make a difference. And they have the, the advantage, right, of not being around, not having to discipline and not, not having to uh, be in the day to day. And so if they get the question, Nana, Papa, what's the best way to do this from a college student? The next 30 seconds to an hour of conversation with that young adult is so impactful. And it's going to mean so much more than when they talk to mom and dad. Now, as a grandparent, you have to be very careful, right? Because you definitely want to support your children who are their parents. And it's not appropriate for you to jump in between, also to correct in public, those types of things. We learn those, right? That's parenting and grandparenting 101. But just be more responsive and look for those opportunities where you can make an impact. So those are more conversational. Josh, what if the kids aren't engaging their grandparents and you know, there isn't a chance to be reactive in that situation? Oh, really, really good question. So uh, I think more practical advice for grandparents out there and, and a really powerful way that they can influence their grandchildren in proper money management has to do with a lot of the things that we talked about earlier. Usually grandparents have more time to volunteer, Jack. The ones that we work with are involved in their church or community, local groups. And I'm not talking about the, the Bunko group and, and those types of groups. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about really volunteering and, and going and, and preparing for the Christmas services at church, going to the homeless shelter, those types of things. Bring your grandchildren with you. Engage them. Talk to the parents. Find opportunities that you can take them out of the house, especially in environments like this where we're all stuck at home and, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic. You have this great opportunity to really engage with them, especially in that 12, 13, 14 age group. I know a lot of teenagers probably would roll their eyes. You know, they're going to spend some time with grandpa and grandma and go do something. But really, going back to your earlier question about what age, you can engage these kids so young. The second thing that my grandparents did with me that I think was uh, very impactful was both my grandparents put me to work during the summer. You know, if they, they'd call me on a Saturday and, you know, I was 14, 15 years old, I was trying to save up for a car and they'd have me raking leaves and they'd, uh, they'd have me doing manual labor around the house. And I know that uh, my daughters just finished up a lot of baking and stuff that they've been doing for our community and our family, you know, trying to sell cookies and, and raise money and things like that. But put them to work. And this leads me into about the worst thing grandparents can do for their grandchildren is just to start stroking them big checks and giving them money. I've seen this really cause problems when parents are trying to teach good work ethic and instill good financial responsibility and build good financial habits with their children. And then, you know, they're making a, think about this, you're making a kid work for their car. And one of the best things my grandmother did for me was she matched all the money I made for one summer towards my first car. And I did not get, and I had to bring her my pay stubs, Jack. She just wasn't going to give it out to me. And then I I remember my grandmother's one, one comment she said was when she looked at my pay stub, her eyes got big and she goes, oh my gosh, I didn't know you, you could make this much money. And I was so proud. And you know, I might've been a little annoyed that, uh, that she just didn't stroke me a check, but it was so impactful. And, and I think as a lot of grandparents don't realize that it makes you feel good to give that money and, and to write that five or $10,000 check for the car. And, and you can come up with a million excuses, right? Your grandchild got in an accident. It wasn't their fault or whatever the case may be. But the moment you do that, you're keeping them from learning those lessons like you did, Jack, which helped you achieve that level of financial freedom and responsibility that's made you so successful today. I think that's a good point. It becomes at a certain point, you know, if you keep writing a check, that it becomes an expectation to the, the child at one point, and that's just a bad habit. Uh, as you were talking, funny enough, I, I was kind of going back to the days of 
working in my grandpa's yard and uh, just working with him. And whether it was me trying to pay for a trip or just to hang out uh, with my friends, I'm uh, just making some money that way. So, yeah, don't uh, for our grandparents listening, don't ever underestimate the influence you have on your grandchildren and teaching them the lessons that are not very common today right? We don't want the children to expect handouts. We don't want them to expect that free lunch, which, which really always has strings attached, right? Right. You have a different perspective as a grandparent to teach them things that maybe they're not listening to their parents on. You can't undermine what their parents are teaching, right? But yeah. you can make a different and sometimes more meaningful impact. So don't ever underestimate the power that you have there. Right. So you just touched on age a little bit. And I wanted to talk about that. I know you were talking about your own son and how you were trying to teach him really as young as possible. And I was just kind of curious, you know, some of these topics, they get a little more complex. Um, Not all of them. At most ages, you can learn to save early on. But some of the more complex topics like investing, they may be more difficult to understand. So what age would you recommend that's appropriate to start bringing up these things? Oh, great question. I can I can answer this one pretty directly. Uh, earlier than you think, and I want to give you examples from something that's been real successful at our family. So as, as I mentioned, we have a lot of children. We have six children. Something we've been doing for a long time is we have Sunday night family meetings. I have one that's out of the house now and she's moved on and is doing great. She still comes home for those dinners most of the time. Every Sunday night, she comes to dinner. And it's a big deal for our family, but it's where we talk about important matters that impact the family. So maybe we're planning a vacation, and maybe we're talking about financial matters. And just the children being around the table, Jack, hearing those discussions. We don't go into our details, like how much is in our investment account or things like that. But we do talk about big financial decisions that we're making, and and the children are exposed to that very early. And they can hear that my 17-year-old son paid for his first car and he stroked the check and how he did that. My 13-year-old daughter will smile and mention, dad, you know, here's $40 I got for my birthday for my mutual fund account. (laughs) Um, So those are things that maybe the six-year-old doesn't understand, but that he's exposed to very early. So I would encourage all of our parents to start exposing their children to those topics extremely early. And just some ideas uh, why you invest why you would want to pay off your house early, even exposing them to things that you just can't afford right now, I think is very healthy going back to saying no and and leading by example that maybe this particular year isn't the right year for us to plan that big European vacation where we're taking all of our kids with us. So I think exposing those children and having them watch how you interact and go through those decisions is a big deal. The last point I'll make on that, Jack, which I think is really important, is make it special to them being in that family meeting or having those discussions. We have a funny uh, term that we use in our family called the family secrets. Our children know that we do not talk about money and we don't talk about our personal financial matters outside the family. And so the children are a part of a special club. They're a part of the Rudd Family Club. When they feel that, they feel important and they start to understand and they feel like they belong and it gives them a self-esteem. And you don't have to make tons of money or be independently wealthy to do that. It can be simply planning your next vacation, taking your Chevy Chase trip down to the Grand Canyon or whatever case it may be. But the point I want to make here, Jack, is if you treat children like they're intelligent and important, you will be surprised that they will act intelligent and important. Yeah, I think that's a good advice. And I wasn't expecting to hear a uh, an exclusive club being forming, but that sounds pretty cool. So I'm glad that's that's the way you're doing it. So Josh, say you do a lot of these things that you just discussed, you know, you talk about it in your house early, you make them feel comfortable about money, but they're really just not interested in savings or investments, really. How can you change that and get them interested in not only saving, but just really building wealth early? 
So Jack, I think you just hit on one of the biggest questions I get uh, from parents who are really trying and they get frustrated because they got, you know, let's take a, a scenario. They got a 13, 14, even maybe 15 year old that's just not really interested. We've had a lot of success in our practice with helping parents to engage these uninterested children. Really what has worked is is finding investment opportunities that interest the child. As parents, we have our idea about what a child should do, right? But then when you get a child that starts hitting young adulthood, and you know we call it preteens and teens, these are they're less kids and they're turning into adults. They're learning the lessons of life. Focus on what interests them. I mean, what a better environment, Jack, to present cool opportunities for investments than right now. Yeah. I mean, we we talked about in our office, you know, I mean, you've got uh, electric vehicles, you've got vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, air taxis, you've got all the streaming media, every app that, that a kid's using on their phone. Most of these are public companies that they can invest in. Focus less on, especially an investor like you, Jack, less on PE and all these earnings multiples and profitability ratios and more on what interests your child. And I, I, I'd be willing to bet that you're going to make more of an impact in their life by keeping them engaged in something they think is cool and owning a piece of that than you are trying to teach them about earnings multiples and how their money is going to grow over time. So I believe that just trying to encourage that euphoria, kind of like if we have any runners that are listening out there, kind of that runner's high, it will kick in. You get those kids interested in stocks, individual stocks especially, that they like, those endorphins are going to start firing in their brain and they'll, they'll start feeling like they enjoy investing. And I'm excited to see if that happens for our listeners kind of brings me back to my high school days, you know, just wanting to get in the stock market and buy the companies that I like that I use every day. That's fun. And I I think it makes it exciting for new and young investors. So Josh, what if I have a child that I've taught him these principles and they really enjoy investing, they enjoy saving, but they're making it all about the money and don't see the long-term picture of success. So how can we encourage success rather than selfishness and making it all about the money? No, it's, it's a really good question, and it's something that we see a lot of today as our country has gotten wealthier and we're more interested in material things. I think that what you're thinking about if you're listening to this program is probably spot on if you're like me, engaging your children in activities that are more about selflessness and giving than just acquiring. We've been talking about investments, and we've been focusing on the financial aspect of this, but there's just such a large behavioral aspect. You know, Jack, again, I'm going to go back to your example about building a strong work ethic. Teaching children to understand that money is a tool and that it's not an end is extremely important. And I think you do that many different ways. When children are younger, we talked about just getting them to physically put something in the offering plate at church, getting them to help the homeless, getting them to go to the shelters. I think is extremely important, just building that muscle memory. And for younger children, creating those habits is extremely important. But as children get older, they need to donate their time to real causes. And I think that parents do this way too late. And we did this also. So I'm not claiming that we knew this right off the bat. It it took us several children, which most uh, of our listeners don't have the luxury of, to really get this right. When a child is 12, 13 years old, there's no reason they can't visit a nursing home, go to a soup kitchen, assisting those with special needs. The point is they need to have interaction with an individual that has a need. And as as difficult as this may be to hear, they need to have an an interaction with someone who's suffering that they can help, that has a real need. This isn't going to be learned through just sending in a check to a a charity that you have no contact with. So I'm a big believer in that. And I think parents can have a 
a huge impact. When children get older, uh, 17 is the age that, that we found works for us. You should engage your children in things that might be a little more challenging for younger children to handle. I know that uh, the homeless population here in, in, in our metropolitan area is getting larger and larger, and, and that can definitely be an area where you can really make a difference. Something that might be a little more challenging is, you know, a lot of the local prisons have a prison ministry you can go in and visit, and not just financial counseling, but just uh, expose young adults to that. I think it's extremely important to see that a side of society which typically doesn't have a representative. You know, when you take a look at a lot of the battered women's shelters and, and crisis pregnancy centers, those are things that an individual 17 years and older really, in, in my opinion, should be exposed to. I think that really helps to open their perspective and to help them not only build themselves up, but also cope with their environment in the future. Those are things, Jack, that I think are just critical to building good and productive human beings and members of society. And, and I would encourage parents and, and grandparents to promote those activities. I think we all learn better from our experiences. So I think that's definitely good advice. Josh, that's all I have for you today. I don't have any other questions. I think we covered a lot. Is there anything else that we missed? You know, Jack, not much. Uh, you know, your story at the beginning uh, really took a lot of the main points and really wrapped a, an excellent narrative around that. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear that you had such a great experience. I'll just kind of summarize what you already said. Put your children to work. Children don't need to be sitting around on the couch playing video games all day. That you put them to work. They're not going to learn the lessons of life unless they're challenged. And you're not going to build a financially responsible child unless you're challenging them financially. Children should not have everything given to them. They should have to go out and earn part of it. And Jack, I think that's one of the reasons that you've done so well. And Jack, you may not know this, but you know, when I grew up, kids had to work and pay for their own cars. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a given. You know, and, and I'm very proud to say that, that my 17-year-old son stroked a check for his own car. And he gets a lot of comments on that because he bought a red Camaro. But, <laughs> you know, daddy didn't pay for that car. So he's worked many years to be able to do that. And he's pretty proud of that. And, and I think that freedom is, is almost intoxicating to him. I think he really, really enjoys that. Yeah, um, it's a great feeling. Yeah. So put definitely, uh, definitely put them to work. Another thing is just, especially something our grandparents and parents can do, teach them, uh, teach them a business. You know, if they, if you're going to put them to work and they're cutting grass, teach them how to run it like a business. My son got mad at me because I, I charge him $5 an hour to, to use our riding lawnmower and the neighbors think I'm crazy, but you know what? He runs a budget now. He understands how business works and he understands where to price his product on the marketplace. So I know, and I know he wouldn't trade that in, in hindsight for anything. And the last thing, Jack, is that as parents, we got a tough job. Grandparents, I can't wait till that day comes for me. But as parents, we got to lead by example. So I, I would encourage our, our listeners out there, if you're a parent, just to evaluate your own financial plan and, and you know, talk to us if you have any questions. Because the best way for your children to be money smart young adults and to grow in adult, into adulthood is to look at what their parents doing. Have the great conversation at dinners. Lead by example. Uh, give them encouragement. And uh, I think you'll be really surprised what they can accomplish at a very young age. Well, Josh, I appreciate you hopping on the other side of things and being our guest speaker today. I think our clients were able to learn a lot. I personally thank my parents for teaching me a lot of the things that you talked about today. I think that had a big impact on my life and, and my success as a young professional. Well, Jack, you're very welcome, and uh, I appreciate uh, appreciate your story. And I also want to thank all of our listeners for taking the time to listen today. As always, if you enjoyed this program, please subscribe to the Rudd Commentary on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform, and never miss an episode. 
Also, if you know other investors that would enjoy this program, please share the Rudd Commentary podcast through email or on social media. We also love feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. If you have the time, we enjoy hearing from you. All of us here at the Rudd Company would like to thank you, our investors and clients, for your trust. Thank you for allowing us to be your partner in your long-term financial journey. We take our role very seriously. Thank you very much for listening today. This is the Rudd Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at the Rudd Company, invest long and prosper. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.